welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet. And how the hell are you? I know I said I wasn't going to say that anymore. I wasn't going to ask, how the hell are you? How the heck are you? Because there's so much chazarai right now. That it's a loaded question to say, how are you? The other thing that's kind of interesting is that usually when we say, how are you, especially in New York, we don't really want a long answer. We want like a fine, I'm okay, all right, you know, a short answer. Remember a friend of mine who had just recently come to America from another country and he told me, in, he was just was blown away when he realized, he said, you know, Rossi, I've discovered that here in America, especially in New York, when people ask, how are you? They don't really want to know. Because what happened is people kept saying, hey, how are you to him? And he would answer, well, I'm all right, except my back hurts a little bit and you know, I had a little trouble waking up this morning because I was up working late last night. I'm thinking that maybe I'll try to get to sleep earlier and then it'll be easier. And You know, he started giving like the whole shebang answer. And the person who said, hey, how are you? They're just about ready to dig a hole and jump in it. He's like, Rossi, I think that people really don't want to know how are you when they ask how are you? And I was like, sweetie, they just want a fast answer. Can you say it in five words or less? I'm fine. I'm okay. All right. Better than yesterday. Whatever. You know, it's a get to the point kind of thing. So no, they don't want a monologue of your entire life. But that was very disturbing for him. He went around giving people like three hour long answers and they were about ready to jump off a bridge. They were like not wanting to be anywhere near the dude. So I'm not going to ask how are you. I'm going to say I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're getting by. I hope you're all right. Anyway, but I digress and I just started. I'm already digressing. So how was your Thanksgiving? Did you have a nice one? Did you cook? Did you eat? Such a loaded holiday, you know, because it has so much lovey-dovey stuff. And it could also be a lot of chazarai. But the whole point is supposedly that you're supposed to be giving thanks, right? So did you thank anyone on Thanksgiving? I don't know. I mean, I thanked our hostess and host because my girlfriend Lila and I got invited over for a spectacular Thanksgiving supper. No family, just my good friend Salafi and her boyfriend, And um, I don't have a Buffy name for him, but and I don't know him quite well enough to out him on the radio. So let's just say a lovely, lovely gentleman who's with my good friend Salafi. Anyway, maybe I got to give him a nickname. I'll get back to you on that. But anyway, they invited us over. It was fabulous. Salafi made a gorgeous turkey. And it was moist and yummy and wonderful. And she knew that I was gluten-free. And so she made three 
gluten-free pies. It was unbelievable. I had a smorgasbord. Is it smorgasbord or smorgasbord? Let me say smorgasbord. I had a smorgasbord. I had on one plate after a whole supper apple pie, pumpkin pie, and pecan pie. Oh my lord. For the gluten-free crowd, there's nothing better in the world than that. So the turkey was sublime, the dessert was sublime, and I brought a couple of my yummy side dishes. I think I talked to you last week about my famous Brussels sprouts in the honey chili lime sauce. They're to die for. But I also made my famous sweet potato puree, which is also to die for. I make it a lot of different ways. So this way I peel the sweet potatoes, which is another story. I realize how spoiled I am. I got to give thanks right now for my prep cooks because I realize how spoiled I am. I haven't had to peel a sweet potato or peel a potato or peel a carrot in years. And I almost never have to chop onions. I am spoiled. But there I was all alone in the kitchen. I had to peel the sweet potatoes all by myself. Don't want to be. Yeah, I had to peel all the sweet potatoes and cut them up. Put them in a big pot. Covered them with water. Brought it to a boil. and Lowered the heat a little bit and let them cook forever and ever and ever. Until they were so soft you could mush them. You could put one in your hand, which you wouldn't want to do because it was hot. But theoretically you could and mush it. Then what I did, my darling, was I drained my sweet potatoes. But I left a little little bit of water. And I also decided in the last 20 minutes of cooking them, I hit them with a cinnamon right there in the pot instead of waiting for later. Really good heaping handful of cinnamon. So then I got a bowl and I drained my sweet potatoes, put them in the bowl, went over to my wife, my esposa. That's the food processor. So we call it my wife because I spend so much time with my food processor. It might as well be my wife. I just love it. Must be because of all the onions and stuff I had to chop early on my catering career. I really fell in love with my esposa. So I put in my mushy sweet potatoes and I did a little puree, puree. I gave it a little pinch of celery salt and salt to kind of even out the sweet of the sweet potatoes and puree puree I gave it some fresh squeezed orange juice I also really love a little apple cider I'll do apple cider or fresh squeezed orange juice not like regular orange juice has to be fresh I love the fresh and a puree puree and then I gave it ton of a really gorgeous dark organic maple syrup pure maple syrup not like you know the pancake stuff you get in the supermarket the good stuff so now I've got my pureed sweet potatoes with good amount of cinnamon gorgeous amount of dark pure maple syrup evening it out with a little celery salt and a little salt It's going well. I gave it some of the liquid from having boiled the sweet potatoes a little bit. Puree, puree. But it wasn't perfect yet. And what did it need? Oh, it needed about four shots of dark rum. Now, I also love cognac and bourbon. Bourbon is fabulous, my dear. But 
I happened to have a half a bottle of perfect dark rum, so I gave it the dark rum. And now you have this sweet, yummy, rum-soaked maple syrup, sweet potato puree. It was a gorgeous thing. And I put it in a baking dish, wrapped it all up, did this on Wednesday, same day I cooked my sweet potatoes and my uh, Brussels sprouts. So for Thanksgiving, we had Salafi's gorgeous turkey, we had my beautiful sweet potato puree and my Brussels sprouts and these great root vegetables that Salafi put in with the turkey while it was roasting and a giant radicchio salad and tons and tons of cranberry sauce. I mean, it just was a great pig out. But all those gluten-free apple and pecan and pumpkin pies after. Forget about it. I just loved it. And so you would think I was done eating, right? I continued to eat for the next several days. Lila and I had leftover Thanksgiving supper for the next two nights, which was gorgeous. The next night I heated up everything. We had the whole meal again. And the night after that, I made a nice stew. I shredded the turkey off a big giant drumstick. I love a big turkey drumstick. Makes me feel like Fred Flintstone. And we cooked that down and we had it with kasha and lentils, believe it or not. Why not? And today I had the last bit of it. I put that shredded turkey, shredded, I love that word, darling, in a pot with some chicken stock, and I seasoned it up and some vegetables, and I had a big old leftover turkey soup. So really, I kind of love the whole leftover thing. Now, what do you do with your leftovers? I think there's a whole art to leftovers. Probably the sandwich, I got to think, was invented for what you do with leftovers. I think my idea, my million-dollar idea, I'm going to share this with you, is there's some great, fantastic delis that will name different sandwiches after celebrities and things like that, the Fred Flintstone, the Dagwood, whatever. But they should just have the Thanksgiving sub. That's what I think it should be in every deli. So you just get a big sub, like you're going to have, you know, provolone and salami kind of sub. You open it up. Inside, you slather it with mayo, and then you slather it, slather, I love that word, with cranberry sauce. And then you put in your turkey, a generous amount of turkey. And then, I'm not done, then you put in some roasted sweet potato, or you could even grill a sweet potato. I put sweet potato on the grill, it's fabulous. So you put in a layer of sweet potato. So now you've got the mayo and the cranberry and the turkey and the sweet potato. And it needs something else. What should go in that sandwich? Well, I guess some pickled onions might be nice. Is that very Thanksgiving? I don't know. I wouldn't put stuffing in it. It kind of needs one more element. Maybe, I don't know. i got to think. I'm, I'm kind of feeling pickled onions. But I'm going to think more about that. Anyway, so it could be like, could you imagine you go to Subway, you know, that big chain Subway, and you have like the Thanksgiving sub, and it's like a turkey cranberry sub with sweet potatoes like right there inside the sub. It's a yummy dummy thing, right? Might be a way to do stuffing in there too. Kind of process that one. Anyway, it's all about the food, right? So did you do some cool things with your leftovers? You could do the Thanksgiving sub, obviously the soup. I'm a big fan of leftovers in a stir fry. I'm convinced 
stir you can stir fry anything so and you could also have a thanksgiving omelet you could saute up some onion chopped onion and throw in your shredded turkey and then in another bowl whisk up some eggs and maybe to the eggs you give it salt and pepper and seasoning and a little bit of milk or cream if you want to have some dairy if you're jewish you don't do the dairy whatever you want to do oy vey you throw your whipped up eggs and you stir 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 and you get a gorgeous omelet you can cover it with cheese if you're into dairy and if you want a frittata you do this in a oven ready skillet and you put the whole thing in the oven and it puffs up and then you have like a thanksgiving omelet isn't that a sexy thing i at one point i was actually writing a book i kid you not on things to do with leftovers and i actually got pretty far in the book and there was a lot of interest in it but i don't know what happened it just kind of imploded and i never got to do the book so maybe i will one day but i just grew up on things to do with leftovers in the restaurant business i'm convinced that the specials are always things to do with leftovers like i remember i briefly owned a restaurant in the east village in a supper club called cave canem i had a restaurant in the supper club called chef rossi i know it wasn't very brilliant of a name but whatever i think it was like chef rossi cooks and so first we would have the filet mignon so on the thursday night we would have a beautiful filet mignon special perfectly grilled gorgeous lovely and already when you're trimming a filet mignon you have all these parts you trim off that are not you don't want to serve it as an entree they're just kind of shredded little bits and things like that so those parts would become the special the next night because we would cut them up and saute them up and we would do a special pasta of the day with filet mignon bits b i t s not b i t c h that's a different subject bits b i t s so we'd have a gorgeous pasta with filet mignon bits and maybe we would throw in some charred tomato and sometimes even fun crazy stuff like barbecued corn or broccoli whatever you know we'd make it like a filet mignon pasta and then we would get to sunday brunch and we would have the frittata of the day and now we still have some bits b i t s not b i t c h um and so we would do the frittata of the day would either have filet mignon in it the bits in it or we would do steak and eggs we would take those trimmings and pound them down and make a decent kind of a steak and pan fry it and serve it with fried eggs I mean it was like really getting a life and a life and a life. So this book on leftovers I got kind of fun. I was talking about let's say there was one that was like your picnic got rained out and you had all your hot dogs on the grill and all your buns toasting and what do you do? Well, so the hot dog buns cut them into cubes, toss them in a little olive oil, salt and pepper, toast them in the oven. and you have your perfect croutons for a salad. Yes you do. Yes you do, Mary Lou. And for your wrinkled old hot dogs that you rescued from the grill before the rainstorm, now you got a whole fridge full of cooked wrinkled old hot dogs. What do you do with that? Well, you know I throw hot dogs everywhere. I'm a big fan, especially of Hebrew national hot dogs. I do love them. 
So you can throw them in salads. Why not? Because the hot dog kind of tastes like in the salami world. You know, you can definitely throw them in pasta. I'm a big fan of hot dogs and pasta. I love it. You can add them to your chili. Why not? It's a yummy thing. You can chop them up and throw them in eggs or an omelet or a frittata. I mean, it's endless. So, well, I don't know. I'm all over the map there. My point is leftovers should rule the world. Like you have something you cook on Friday, you can get meals all week. When I was a starving artist, I would have one meal that became five other meals. You know, five days later, I'm still recycling it into something else. So here I had gorgeous Thanksgiving turkey supper at Salafi's on Thursday night and Friday night. We heated the whole thing up, had it all over again, and then it morphed into a kind of a stew, odd to say, with lentils and kasha. Why not? Turkey and kasha and lentil stew. It's kind of awesome, actually. And then it wound up being soup. So there you have it. I don't know. I guess my mother never really recovered from the depression. She was a depression baby, so we always lived like as if we were poverty stricken. I grew up sort of feeling like we were really poor. Then, after I left and I was on my own, my brother was studying to be an accountant and he did my family's, you know, estate, you know, for his accounting homework. And he called me up and he's like, do, my nickname, do, short for duty. And now it's got nothing to do with poopy. It was just uh, kind of a family name. What can I say? I've gotten accustomed to it. I've grown accustomed to your face and duty, you know. Anyway, he's like, you know, mom and dad are kind of on the loaded side. Like, they've got a lot of cash. Well, I said, well, what good does it do us? I grew up feeling like we were poverty-stricken. I'm traumatized from poverty-stricken childhood. And now I find out they had cash. I mean, forget about it. The damage is done. Forget about it. But it was like... And meanwhile, I don't know what happened to that cash. Well, that's another story. It seemed to have evaporated somehow with my father's girlfriend. Hmm. That'll be something I ponder in a future show. But my point is I'm traumatized by that. So my mother was a depression baby... She was older when she had kids. She was born in 1926, total depression baby. And she never got over it. So if she had something, she got a turkey. or she, Well, she never got a turkey. She wouldn't deal with turkeys. They were too big and took too long to defrost. But she gets like a whole chicken. It's going to have a few lives. It's going to be the initial roasting of the chicken. And then later on, there's going to be the cut-up chicken that we're going to have with spaghetti or something and it just kind of would keep growing and growing now I'm going to tell you something I grew up with I thought was the most delicious thing in the world and now I think is horrifying and I can't believe I thought it was the most delicious thing in the world but when my mother was making all these chicken dishes she would peel the skin off and we'd be eating the chicken without the skin and then she would take all that chicken skin and cut it up into strips and put it in the oven in the broiler until it was crispy, really crispy. And when we were sitting around watching TV, we'd sit there eating these crispy chicken skins. We just thought that was delicious. That was like Jewish pork rinds, the most delicious thing ever.
And now I think it's kind of horrifying that we're sitting around eating chicken skin. But I don't know. We survived, so I guess it was okay. Later on, I found out that, that I thought we were the only people in the world who did that. And later on, I found out that that's actually a thing. And people like sitting around eating chicken skin. Yuck. Yuck to pork rinds, too. Blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of stuff in Jewish cooking that really horrified me. I remember the day I was in a kosher deli, and I was there with my parents, and I looked in the in the glass uh, enclosed display unit with all the various salamis and corned beef and everything, and there's this giant tongue, like it was right out of a Godzilla movie, like this giant tongue, bleh, just bleh, over the inside of the counter, and I was just like, oh my God, Mom, look at that, this is like, what the happened? I was just traumatized. And then I watched the deli guy picks up this giant tongue. And the tongue, I mean, God, I don't know about that cow, but the tongue must have been at least five pounds. It was giant. And he puts it in the slicing machine, the same slicing machine that sliced the corned beef and the salami and all the other stuff. He's like, there, there, there's going the tongue. And then he puts it in someone's sandwich. Yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. I was traumatized. So, granted, who am I to throw throw bones and stones and people in glass houses and all of that, you know, um, because we're sitting around eating chicken skin. But the tongue thing put me over the edge. So later on, you know, when we would see other things, like I love my Anthony Bourdain, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I miss you. You know, he would show things that I, I thought were horrifying, like people sitting around eating snakes and insects and reptiles and, you know, some of the horrifying things he showed. But, I mean, but we sat around eating chicken skin and people in a kosher deli sit around eating tongue. So whatever, whatever, whatever. Different strokes for different folks. So if you did actually eat something really, really weird on Thanksgiving, shoot me an email. I want to know about it. You can always do that through The Raging Skillet, theragingskillet.com. It's easy to find me. You just type in Chef Rossi, it's easy to find me. Because if you did have something really, really weird, I want to know about it. And like I said last week, probably the weirdest Thanksgiving I ever had was at the Magic Carpet, eating hummus for the first time. Like, when was the first time I ever had hummus? That was on Thanksgiving. And that was probably one of the best meals of my life. So... You know, who knows? Different strokes for different folks. So, I love that I did get to do some cooking, but I love that I didn't have to do all the cooking. My, my darling, I'm not up for that. I had plenty of Thanksgiving suppers where I did do all the cooking, and it's exhausting. Now, back to the sweet potato. I think sweet potatoes are the sexiest thing in the world. So, the old-fashioned sort of sweet potato casserole has got you dotting the top with marshmallows and then you put them in the oven and out come the sweet potatoes with the marshmallow but honestly sweet potatoes are so sweet and so gorgeous on their own they really don't need the marshmallow so I'm not a fan I think it's like too much of a good thing you know what I, you know what I mean chili bean so I happen to do it my puree with fresh orange juice and rum but I think I might possibly prefer it with a good apple cider and bourbon. That combination is crazy yummy. And as a matter of fact, 
The last time I did my world famous barbecue brisket, I drowned the brisket in apple cider and bourbon. So that combination is a very sexy thing. Sweet potatoes, I think they're just underappreciated. They have so many great purposes in life. And it's a great form of carbs. I remember when I was bodybuilding. Yes, in the 80s, I was a bodybuilder. It was part of the women's bodybuilding craze. I was really, really all into it, let me tell you. And the bodybuilders, I mean, really serious bodybuilders who were going for competitions worked out in this gym. It was a hardcore gym on 19th Street called Better Bodies. And it was full of like real professional bodybuilders and also porno stars. Kind of interesting, right? It's like just the roughest, most serious, high-tech gym with world-class bodybuilders and porno stars. Uh, Gladys Portuguese, who was a very famous bodybuilder, worked out there and her boyfriend, Brian, was the owner. And the porno stars that worked out there, there was one, Vanessa Del Rio, who was known as Vanessa the Andressa. And she worked out there. I was always in the locker room with her. And um, she was quite a sight, I have to say. And Robin Bird, who we love and adore to this day, she worked out there. And I had the pleasure of watching Robin Bird do squats. And I have to tell you, you have not lived till you've seen Robin Bird do squats. Because she had a sort of a pelvic thrust well, I don't know, it was, a, it was quite a performance, let me tell you. I was feeling extremely vanilla watching her thrust while she did the squats. It was pretty exciting. Um, but I digress. Anyway, so the bodybuilders are always looking for something to pep them up. And they would sit around eating sweet potatoes. They would roast a whole bunch at the beginning of the week. And they'd eat them all week. They would eat them cold. And I'd just have them in their bag in a little Ziploc or something. Out would come the whole sweet potato that they roasted. And that's what they would do. They'd get all their energy from the sweet potatoes. Some of the bodybuilders started eating sweet potato baby food, pureed sweet potato, Gerber's baby food. You have not lived till you've seen a giant, world-class Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilder sitting there with the little Gerber's baby food eating the sweet potatoes. So I don't know. I'm a big fan of the sweet potato. And I'll have to talk to you more sometime about all the porno stars and the bodybuilders at this gym. It was really kind of funny. Um, I think I'll probably have to keep writing books about my life because the stories never quite end. But I will tell you that Vanessa the Andressa started taking uh, steroids of some kind because a lot of the bodybuilders were. And then things started changing in some interesting ways. That was another story I'll discuss that I saw in the locker room. Let's just say I was getting to know a new side of her after she started taking the steroids. And um, hmm, it was rather titillating, but I'm gonna leave it right there because a little too juicy for, for public, <laughs> public radio, if you know what I mean, jelly bean. So I'm gonna shut up because it's very late and I've got sweet potatoes on my mind. By the way, there's nothing better in the world than taking a sweet potato, wrapping it in foil, a whole sweet potato, and just throwing it in the oven. That's it. Whole sweet potato wrapped in foil, throw it in the oven for like an hour, hour and a half until it's soft. Take it out, crack it open, slather it with butter. That's what you would do with Vanessa the Andressa too. Slather it with butter and a little salt and pepper, 
perfection, absolute perfection. Well, this is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, for raging and eating. And as always, food is love, and so are you. And so was Vanessa the Andressa. All right, you take care now.